Well, welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Faithfully Engaged. Uh, recently, I had a guest on that we talked about hermeneutics, and today we're going to cover uh, something a little bit different called apologetics, and we'll, we'll get into that more with our guest, Scott, today. So, Scott, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? Okay, yes, thank you. Um, so, just just to let you know, I am an author and speaker I wrote a book called Got Faith. Uh, it's, a, it's a workbook. It's, a, it's something that you can go through on your own or a small group study. It's apologetic-based. It walks a person through, um, like, ha- ha- talking to an atheist or agnostic to, you know, how you know the, the Bible is, is the Word of God, to how do you know who, who is Jesus and what are his claims, and, and to, you know, eventually... Uh, you know, what does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be a Christian? So it kind of covers the, the whole path of a non-believer to uh, somebody who's who becomes Christian. And uh, I've, uh, I've spoken at uh, various places, including uh, India a couple of times. Uh, so I, it's apologetics is my passion. It's something that I've been diving into ever since my youth um that's that's pretty much me in a nutshell all right well let, let, let's kind of start there just on apologetics now I, i'll i'll tell you just my own kind of personal story when the first time i heard that word i don't know i was 10 or something like that I'm like apologetics why are people apologizing i don't, right. I don't, I don't understand that's a, that's, um, th- people think first Yes. So for those that are listening uh, to, to the show today and I have no idea what that, that means, uh, wh- what is apologetics? What, what does that word mean? So it's basically uh, defending the Christian faith. Well, Christian in this case, but uh, defending your faith, uh, being able to explain the truth, being able to uh, help somebody understand you know, the Christian faith, basically. Yeah, so it, it's really that uh, kind of that that defense there and explaining explaining more of your faith. So, tell me just your your journey. Like, how, how did you uh, get into apologetics? When did you know it was your passion? Uh, just tell us that story. So, I had the the privilege of growing up in a Christian home, and um, some point in my high school years we went to this, this conference. Uh, well, my church hosted this, this conference, uh, that was on, uh, cults. And, um, the speaker was just this fascinating speaker talking all about, uh, different, uh, cults. And, and, um, to me, I had never learned, you know, much about those. I knew what I believed. I knew what the church taught. I knew what Christians, you know, teach what the Bible teaches, but it was just fascinating to hear the speaker talk about, you know, different cults and what they believe, and and uh, it it really piqued my interest, you know, and so I started learning about cults, and then that just grew into other areas of apologetics, and uh, I had a I I received a, a really a terrific study Bible. Um, and it, 
in, in, in the study Bible, it, um, it's called the Defenders Study Bible. Uh, you know, it has all kinds of apologetics in it and uh, scientific facts in the Bible. And uh, it, it, it was, the, it's written by, the, the notes are written by uh, Dr. Henry Morris. And that really got me into, um, well, creation and just a wider area of apologetics. Um, so that's that's how I got my faith. I mean, my that's how I got really interested in in apologetics. Now, w- within that, and especially that last part there, talking about into more of the the science aspect, the creation aspect. Is that where you kind of, uh, I don't know, find most of your passion? Is it more centered in the kind of the creationism side of things? Or is it really just all of apologetics in general that that's your most passionate about? Um, I would say looking at creation and what the Bible teaches um, is what I kind of dove into first. Uh but it's it's you know grown grown from that, um, mm-hmm. and I just I just find it fascinating talking to people that um, somehow can think there is no God and and that we just evolved and all these things came to be by chance with no creator. Mm-hmm. Um, to me, that's that's not the side of reason. <laughs> you know, they think mm-hmm. they're the reasonable ones, but uh, when you really look at things and and you really take a uh, critical mind to what's being taught, and you don't just buy things hook, line, and sinker to what you know science books teach us in public schools, you can see you know what that 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 doesn't make sense. And when we have scientific laws you know, like the law of thermodynamics um, and, and, and other scientific laws that say, you know what, this just isn't possible. And like, for example, when Darwin wrote his book, um, The Origin of Species, he had no concept of how complicated things were as they got smaller. He thought a cell was a very simple, simple, simple thing. Mm-hmm. He didn't have electron microscopes and all these different things that reveal the complexity of the DNA structure. Um, and and we, we can see if you really want to look at it scientifically and not, you know, uh, just with my, you know, not just something that uh, from a brainwashed perspective, but from an open mind, you can see, you know what, L- Evolution doesn't make sense. Macroevolution. Um, people say, "Well, yeah, we can see changes within a species." Okay, yes, there's adaptation. There's microevolution, um, but macroevolution—one kind of an animal to another—that that doesn't exist. It's never happened. Uh, it's a fairy tale. It can't happen, mm-hmm. you know, genetically. So, uh, it's it's just fascinating to me those things. You know, as, as you're talking about this, especially on the, the concept of there being no God, um, I, I'm by no means an expert on all of, uh, 
human history, but I know enough that this recent rise of kind of what they call the nuns, people that don't believe in anything, there, there is no God, um, that's been a very recent phenomenon. Um, throughout most of history, people have believed in something. Um, right. It might be a might be a sun god or whatever, but sure. there's, there's been a belief in something. So with this recent rise of yeah, atheism, agnosticism, things of that nature, um, like you said, that's usually tied with well, we have more reason now. We we we're more ad- more advanced than those that believed in gods and stuff. We don't need that anymore. What do you find um, is more uh, more helpful and and I guess more more succinctly, how do you answer that? To a, a an atheist that says, "I don't need there to be a, a common phrase of the spaghetti monster in the sky," right? I, I don't need that fairy tale. What's the best answer to an atheist like that? Okay, so the first question I always ask an atheist is. Would you admit that you don't have even 20% of all the knowledge of the universe? And if they're willing to have an honest conversation and not just be flippant, you know, with their answer, then of course they're going to say, no, I, nobody has even 20% of all the knowledge of the universe. Um, and then my follow-up question would be, okay, so in the greater than 80% of all the knowledge of the universe that you do not have, could there be evidence for a creator, for a God? And again, if they're being honest, then they have to admit, well, yeah, there, I don't know everything. So there could be enough evidence out there that I don't know uh, for a God. And at that point, they're no longer an atheist because nobody has the knowledge to say there is no God. If you had all the knowledge of the universe, then you're a God, <laughs> you know? So that I always start with those two questions to get them to admit um, they don't have enough knowledge to say there is no God. Mm. Um, And then we can start talking about the evidence for God. Um, And so that's, that's, but that's, that's kind of like the icebreaker. You know, that's, Mm -hmm. that's how I start my conversation is, just to get them to admit, yeah, there's things I don't know. There's lots of things I don't know. And so with the evidence, I mean, with, with what I don't know, there could be evidence uh, of a God. And then just start getting them to think, you know, nobody looks at a building and wonders if the building had an architect, if the building had people that put it together. The fact that we're here, the fact that we have a creation means there was a creator. Um, design and purpose are throughout the universe. Um, we, we have laws that, physical laws, that if you changed any one of them just slightly, like for example, um, gravity, the law of gravity, if that was just slightly, slightly different we couldn't have complex life. The universe wouldn't exist. And uh, to, to think that we have all these fine-tuned laws to give us life without a person, without a designer, um, doesn't, you know, it's, that's, that's not logical. 
I, I love how in the beginning of your response there is is to ask questions. I, I think that's something that in general as Christians, sometimes we're so like, we tend to be re- really defensive and just want to like kind of engage back. And, and don't get me wrong, and, and engaging in these conversations is important. Um, but we don't have to convince them of everything right there from the get-go. Let's ask questions. Let's, right. let's for one, see if we're willing to have a legitimate discussion. That's why I love uh, what you said there of, of 20%. If, if they said, yeah, I know everything, that they're – it doesn't matter what you tell that person. Exactly. They're, they're, exactly. You're, 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 so that, that question, one of the things it does is get them to, is for you to find out if they're willing to have an honest conversation. Because yeah. if they just give you a flippant response, why bother? You know, just yeah. move on. Don't waste your time. I've experienced uh, something similar. I, I haven't. Um, done a ton of debates, not formal debates on uh, kind of pro-life type type of uh, situations about abortion. Um, but that's one thing I try to do from the get-go is uh, have a kind of just look at the logics of it. And the first thing that goes into is like, well, what about the exceptions of, of rape and incest? That's like immediate that almost always comes up. And in that discussion, even though I still have quite a few strong opinions on those. For the sake of argument, fine. Let, I'll give you those. Now what? Now where do we draw the line? And inevitably, almost 90 plus percent of the time, that really wasn't the issue. It wasn't rape and incest. Right. Um, that, that's just kind of that easy way to get out of it. Exactly. But by engaging in that, by giving them that, I, I, I've kind of, trap them a little bit they don't have that easy out anymore and 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 that's what i like about about you there too is um we don't have those real simple uh you know spaghetti monster in the sky those type of frivolous things that's that's just not helpful let's get let's weed out some of these worthless conversations and let's actually get into this um so i i love starting off with the question that's a fantastic idea As you go deeper into this, um, I know something that happens with people in general, whether they're an atheist or um, just maybe even they would consider themselves a a Christian, maybe a name only. The question comes down to of why the Bible? Why does the Bible matter? Why would you believe that over the Quran or whatever other type of scripture? So for somebody to ask that, or if you're approaching that question, how do you get into the authoritative nature of the Bible with someone? Okay, so great question. Um, and there's there's plenty to dig into there. I think everything from... Um, the history that's written in the Bible that we now can confirm um, to prophecies. You know, I mean, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies. How many do you want him to fulfill? Right. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, these are prophecies that were written hundreds of years before his, his birth, his his earthly birth. Um, So, and then you have, um, I don't know, things like, well, how, how do you know Jesus was who he said he was? Well, 
he, he rose again from the dead. Well, how do you know he rose again from the dead? Well, look at the changed lives of the apostles. And I think that's really where we get into things that you, you can't argue. Um, like you, you can't argue against somebody's testimony. If you want to share what God did with your life, that's a great thing to do because nobody can argue against that. You know, you, you really did experience those things. Well, the apostles really did have changed lives. I mean, you, you look at, you know, one of the arguments that Jesus didn't rise from the dead is his, the, his disciples stole the body. Okay. So these disciples that were so afraid, they locked themselves in the room. One of them denied knowing Jesus, you know, multiple times as he was kind of following from a distance after Jesus was arrested. Um, and you, so you have these people that lock themselves in a room and are, are literally in hiding. And you want to tell me that they went to the tomb, overpowered the Roman soldiers, rolled the two to three tons boulder away and stole the body. And then knowing that they are lying about this in their writings of the New Testament, they, they went through all of this torture and even death for all of them except for one that we know of um, over a lie. No, nobody, nobody allows themselves to be tortured and killed for what they know to be a lie. You know, it just doesn't happen. So um, those, are, those are the things that I, I like to discuss. I, I really like all sorts of those examples, and um, I, I can't come up with the specifics on this, but uh, I, I've heard a uh, pastor, somebody talking about just the overwhelmingly amount of evidence that we have that, like, the Bible was written by who it was written by, all the manuscripts that we have, um, and how if you don't believe that the Bible, whether we believe that it was that it was God's holy word or not, um, that it was written, it was actually written this way by these people that had these thoughts, then you couldn't believe any ancient literature because we have way more evidence about the scriptures, manuscripts than anything else in, in existence. So I think that's an extra uh, kind of protective factor there over, um, okay, we you still don't necessarily have to believe all those words, but... Um, there's a lot of evidence here and just to dismiss it and especially those claims of, yeah, they, they rolled his body away or whatever. Um, there's, there's no evidence of that, um, that you can, that's just somebody trying to explain something. Um, right. yeah. So that there's faith statements set all over the place. It's just where people are, are placing that faith in. Absolutely. This next question is something that I have been pondering a little bit. I, I've actually am in the middle of uh, uh, reading a book I've had recommended a, a long time, um, but just getting around to reading it. It's uh, uh, The Reason for God by, by Tim Keller. And it's a one of the chapters is about classic question of how can a loving God send people to hell? How can that happen? So I'm sure that's a question that you've received often. How generally do, do you answer that when you receive that question? Okay, so um, what people don't understand is God's perfection. Uh, yes, he is a loving God, but he is also a just God. Uh, and 
and his standard is is perfection. He doesn't send anybody to hell. We send ourselves because we do not meet his standard of of perfection. Um, you know, if if there was a mass murder on trial, and uh, you know some. There's somebody, he was a serial killer, and they, they finally found him after he killed all these people, and now he's on trial, and it's so obvious that he's guilty. And the judge says, well, because I'm a loving judge, I'm just going to give you a slap on the wrist and, and make you pay this $500 fine for blah, 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 you know, whatever, something stupid. Everybody would be so upset. They're like, there's no justice. Come on, this isn't right. Well, you know, God, God can't just allow uh, evil uh, or, or and, and sin into his perfect heaven. So we send ourselves to hell by not following and meeting God's standard. This has been something that I struggled with. I know when I was younger, um, like a... I grew up in church. I was, I was very, um, very gracious to, to be able to grow up in a Christian family, was saved at a young age, about six years old. And um, I understood all the concepts of, of we're sinners and uh, Christ died for our sins. He rose from the dead. I, I had all that. But I really did struggle with not so much of just the hell part, but the the wrath part. That didn't make mm-hmm. sense to me. How You're loving, but how do you have wrath? And what you just explained there of the judge, that that's a wonderful explanation. Uh, when it really came to uh, make more sense in my mind um, was when I started dating my wife. Um, we weren't even married at the time yet, um, but I hadn't had a relationship like that. We, we might have been engaged at this level and nothing had happened. But I just remember that feeling of like, if somebody was to hurt her, I'm going to be really mad. Like there's going, I, I can't separate that wrath side of it. And it's not because I don't love her. It's because I love her um, that it, it goes hand in hand. And I, I love what you said there of that just, uh, that justice and that judge part. Um, God is loving. He hates sin. He, he absolutely does. Um, and there is judgment there. Um, and like you said, it's not him just appeasing his wrath by throwing us in there. We have chosen that through our sinful beings, through where we're all sinful beings. And we kind of flip it on its head in Christianity that it's the bad part isn't that he's that people are sinning in hell. The crazy thing is that he offers salvation. Right. That, we don't deserve that. It, that's it, that's the good news. It, exactly. And people usually identify themselves as a good person. You know, if you ask somebody, mm-hmm. you think you're a good person? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I haven't killed anybody. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good person. I haven't robbed a bank. You know, I didn't rape anybody, whatever. But mm-hmm. um, you, if you start asking them about the Ten Commandments, they can convict themselves. In other words, ask, have you ever told a lie? And they'll usually say, well, of course I told a lie. I'm human, but so what? Who has it? Okay, but God says, do not lie. And and you've broken one of his Ten Commandments right there. 
what about have you ever stolen something even something small a pencil oh okay, yeah but but everybody has okay but god says do not steal and you know if you if you total a lie what does that make you okay i'm i'm a liar if you You're stole liar. something yeah. even something small what does that make you uh, it makes you a thief right so if you start looking at what god's standard is and realizing you have to be perfect to enter heaven you should understand okay then we don't have we don't there's <laughs> there's no way we can make it into heaven, right? Because there's no way um, uh, any of us have lived up to that standard. Until, like you said, God provided the way. He provided salvation through his son. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I've heard some people present like, oh, you said that that's the gospel. That's the good news. That's not good news. That sounds terrible. Um, and because they're looking at it in that lens. I'm, I'm a good person. That's, that's something of why, um, for Christians, obviously we play, play, uh, pay a lot of attention to the new Testament for good reason. Um, you know, Jesus, that's the good news. We, we need to really emphasize that. Right. But sometimes in Christianity, we lose the old Testament. We forget about the the Ten Commandments, things of that nature. And that gives the New Testament all the weight to it because that shows we we can't do this on our own. Right. Israel, they tried it. Uh, they failed. Right. But Jesus Literally. provides this way. Time after time. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, we, we, we need to not lose that the Old Testament. It, it is very, very important to go alongside the New Covenant as well. Absolutely. This next question um, kind of goes in hand of the, uh, you know, sending people to hell or whatever. Okay, if God is so good, um, he's all powerful, he's perfect, then why is there even evil? Why is there sin here at all? If he's so good and perfect, can he just make a good and perfect world? Okay, I love this question. Um, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Ella Enchanted. Mm-hmm. So for, for those who have not seen Ella Enchanted, it's a, uh, you know, it's a fairy tale movie. There's this, this, this fairy godmother that comes into the, the scene at the very beginning of the movie, and she uh, blesses or curses, however you want to look at it, this baby so that it always will obey on command. In other words, you ask this child to do something, they don't have an option not to do it. They just do it. Well, God could have made us that way, but that is not love. He made us with the ability to choose him, to love him. We have chosen not to love him, um, which is why there is evil. We, we have evil in this world because we have done everything except choose God. And because God gave us the freedom of choice, he allowed for that possibility of evil. Yeah. And, and, and it, when you look at your, your own lives here, especially uh, anyone listening that has, has kids, um, it means so much when 
Uh, like I, I have a couple little ones right now and, and another one that's on, on the way. But um, when my kids, the first time they told me, I love you, my goodness, that is, that's incredible. What, what an incredible moment um, to hear that. And it means so much because they chose to say it. Um, right. It doesn't mean as much when uh, I force them, just say, I, I love, love you, you. Like that means that's nice. That's that, nice if they can repeat that. that but that they don't know what they're saying exactly right when they say it on their own that is incredible it just means so much and how you laid that out makes so much sense that uh, that would be the equivalent of making us robots and that's, exactly god did not yeah. make mind them robots he wanted the relationship we're not his yeah. computer yeah you know, mm-hmm. for him to program to do whatever his building is um yeah so he it's all about the relationship it's all about us making that decision Mm. otherwise there's no love either why is there evil well you want a a world without love there's no Mm. you know you you turn that question on its head why is there love (laughs) yeah yeah you know uh there's love because we have the freedom of choice there's evil because we have the freedom of choice. Yeah, no, I think I think that's that's really important again to flip some of these things on its head and and to ask that. Yeah, we, we there's evil, sure, and and that's something in my uh, kind of in, in my day job uh, of uh, talking to some of my clients that the problems they come into if they're seeking counseling from me. Um, they're legitimate. They're legitimate problems. Don't, don't get me wrong. I don't, don't want to downgrade them. But so often they're so focused on those problems that they miss the good things. And that's something I challenge them to do. Like, what are you grateful for? Um, yeah, you're you're dealing with grieving this loss or whatever, but what do you have in your life? And, and that doesn't take it all away. Recognizing that we have a God of love or that we have uh, the ability to love on earth, that doesn't take away the evil but it gives it a whole lot more context, gives, gives that love a whole lot more meaning instead of s- solely just focusing on everything going wrong. Um, we, we need to see the, the beauty and um, the creation as well. Absolutely. This next question, um, my uh, every once in a while, I'll, I'll reference my my wife on here, and there's times she'll catch up on episodes, and times she doesn't. So uh, sometimes I'll, I'll tell my guests not to uh, to mention things to my to my wife off off screen there if I uh, get onto her or something. But this is a question for my wife that uh, she is really passionate about. Uh, she she just really likes. Uh, to talk about this issue, and that is about the the age of the earth, um, the kind of the typical mind view or worldview is Earth is millions, billions, whatever years old. The the dinosaurs were here whole long time ago, and then we came. I don't know how old they say humans have been here. A few tens of thousand years. I don't I don't remember millions. But, okay, well there you go. Um, anyways, I, is that true? And if it's not true, why, why is that not true? Okay. Very good question. Um, let me give you an analogy to answer this question, to start off my answer. Uh, let's say you're a scuba diver and you find this sunken ship and it has a treasure chest inside of it. 
you bring up the treasure chest, you open it up and you see all these different coins and the coins are dated. Let's say you find a coin dated 1745 and another coin dated 1756. And, um, you know, you find these, these different dates, whatever. Um, and you want to determine when did the ship sink? Well, are you going to look at the oldest coin or are you going to look at the newest coin? You're going to look at the newest coin because obviously the ship did not sink before that newest coin was printed. So you could have a coin dated 1600 in that chest. It doesn't matter. You could have signs of age. It doesn't matter. What are the limiting factors? The limiting factor, the newest coin, let's say if it's 1784, whatever, you know the ship did not sink before 1784. It's not going to have a 1784 coin in it. doesn't matter if you have coins from the 1600s. That's irrelevant. Mm -hmm. You want to know when the ship sank? Okay, probably on or after uh, that, the, that newest coin. So we have limiting factors that limit the Earth's age. Uh, for example, the ocean is approximately 3.5% salt, um, the oceans. Well, why are they salty? Why, are the, why is the ocean salt water? The oceans are salt water because of our water cycle. Water evaporates from the oceans, gets blown over land, it rains on the land, the, the, the rivers run off the land into the ocean containing minerals and whatnot. And it's the water cycle that makes the ocean salty. It's the runoff from the land with all the minerals that make the ocean salty. So the oceans are an irreversible process of getting saltier. And you can measure that. Um, so the question is, why are the oceans 3.5% salt? Well, if you say that's measurable, the rate that they're getting salty is measurable. Okay, so we can determine that the oceans have only been getting salty for the last 5,000 years. The oceans can go from fresh water to salt water at the current level in just 5,000 years. So you cannot possibly have oceans that are millions of years old. Uh, otherwise, they would all be like the Dead Sea and worse. Nothing mm -hmm. would be living in them. They would be too salty. So that is an incredible limiting factor to the age of the Earth. Um, so you ask the question, how old do I think the Earth is? It's somewhere around 6,000 years. Um, biblically speaking, uh, we, we can see human history. We, we have uh, great, you know, recordings of how long people lived. Um, and the Jews were absolutely fantastic at keeping track of this stuff. So um, because of those records, we can, we can guess somewhere around 6,000 years. But even scientifically, if you, if you really want to look at the true science, the things that are limiting factors, like the ocean salt level, you know it, it's just 
it, it doesn't make sense to say that the earth is millions of years old. Um, I live here in Hawaii and, you know, we're taught that the Hawaiian islands are uh, several million years old, uh, <clears throat> that the oldest, <clears throat> none of the islands are, have active volcano activity except for the big island. All the others, they say, have, have been um, done being formed for, for millions of years. Well, again, we can see that cannot be true because of the rate of erosion. Well, the rate of erosion is just under half inch a year. All of our islands, except for the big island, because it's still growing, would be underwater in just 1 million years because of the rate of erosion. Um, I've seen a storm completely wipe out a beach and us have to, us meaning people, having to rebuild the beach for people to enjoy because it was wiped out in, in one storm. You know, so the, the age that they give things, they use circular reasoning a lot of times. So they'll say the, the fossils date the rocks, but the rocks date the fossils more accurately. What? You're hurting my head with that. That's circular <laughs> reasoning. Um, you know, when you, if, if you're, if, if, if you find a fossil and you want it dated, the people doing the dating will not give you a date until you tell them what layer you found it in, hmm. you know? Uh, so it's, it's, but, you know, people, people look at the Grand Canyon and they think, oh, let's look at all these different layers. I don't know if you've done any, any, um research into the Mount St. Helens explosion back in the early 80s. But that was God's gift to creation science because mm. we saw a miniature Grand Canyon get created with all the same layers of the Grand Canyon in hours mm. because of the, uh, the flood that occurred. Well, the, the explosion created a dam a natural dam, and then uh, a subsequent uh, explosion caused a bunch of water to break through that dam and and turn what was a small canyon into a much larger canyon. And all this sediment and all these different layers it got created. And you, you can see if you, you look at them, oh, these look very similar to the layers we have in the Grand Canyon. We know how long those took to create hours <laughs> you know and you want to tell me the grand canyon took millions of years well we now mm -hmm. have scientific evidence that this can be created very quickly so that, that's really intriguing um and I, I think that's neat to have those those different limiting factors like that um to be able to look at that in different areas instead of just on just salt just erosion or whatever that sounds really uh really intriguing um with that and that kind of leads me into my my last bigger question here of most of the audience although not all um would come from a from a christian type of perspective or at least uh appreciative of of a christian worldview and for those that are listening like wow this is really interesting i I want to know more, and maybe I want to pursue some apologetics on my own. What what advice would you give them to be able to get started on this? 
Good question. Um, I, I would look at organizations that I uh, done a lot of research with things, organizations like Answers in Genesis, um, Creation Today. Those are two uh, outstanding organizations that have a lot of uh, information on this. Um, I, I mentioned Dr. Henry Morris. He, he wrote the Defender Study Bible. He's kind of the godfather of modern creation science, and any of his books would be excellent books. Uh, to, to look at. Um, of course, I would love it if you bought and, and read my book, uh, Got Faith. And um, by the way, it's it's for sale on Amazon. And uh, I my my first name is actually Kenneth. My the name as my as an author is K Scott Wells. So if you wanted to find me on Amazon, it's the letter K and then Scott Wells. And the book title is Got Faith. But there's a lot of uh, great resources out there. Um, and uh, yeah, I, 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 I would start with, with those. And uh, I think you can get just a wealth of information uh, from them. Great. And I, I will include the, um, the link to, to Scott's book down, down in the show notes. So you guys can, can check it out. Um, but for anybody else that is interested and in maybe just, uh, uh, catching up with you either on social media or just in general, um, how, how can they be in contact with you? Um, Probably the best way would be to send me an email. And I don't have a bunch of staff that's reading my emails. I, I do it my, myself. So you can email scott at defendingthetruth.net. Perfect. And I'll, I'll include that down in the show notes too. If you, uh, yeah, if you have any questions for him, I'm sure uh, those of you that are just really interested in this um, side of things, because I, I know a lot that, um, that go to church, um, they they might really be uh, enjoy doing um, theology studies and things like that, which are great, uh, absolutely. And I know that kind of ties into this, but apologetics is kind of its own uh, own kind of discipline. And and I said I just find it fascinating, and yeah, I'm sure others do too. Great. Okay. Well, Scott, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and um, to hear some more of these uh, uh, kind of apologetic viewpoints. And I hope uh, everyone listening has has learned something. And like I said, I encourage everyone to to reach out to him. So Scott, any, any parting words before we head out today? Any parting words? You know, um, just want to say, trust Christ. You know, uh, the Bible is, is the truth. Uh, Christ is who he claimed to be. Uh, he did live a perfect life. He died for our sins, rose again from the dead. <clears throat> and all we have to do to know that we have salvation is to change our minds and, you know, repent about our sin and trust in Christ. We, we trust in Christ and uh, we have salvation. So that's, that's my desire is that people, we, people trust in Christ and, and are saved. Amen to that for sure. And 
thanks again, Scott, for for joining uh, joining me today, having this uh, fantastic discussion. And I uh, want to say thank you to everybody that uh, tuned in today. And we will catch you on the next episode. Thank you so much. <laughs>